Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 221 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. Happy Monday to you all. And I hope you had a good weekend. Going to have a good week. We're slowly but surely getting back to work. And that includes the fight community. UFC just had a big event in Florida last weekend. Boxing should be back soon, guys. So no need for uh, the feelings of doom and gloom. Probably in another month or so, we're going to have some boxing. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to have promoter Tom Loeffler on the show. So if you guys have any questions for him, get them in on the chat. Now, as always, guys, make sure that you hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. If you're listening live on Spreaker right now, make sure you give us a like and a follow over there as well. As always, spread the word about the show. Spread the word about the channel. And I should remind you guys, I just posted an interview that I did with Joseph Parker over the weekend. Make sure you check that out. That's on my YouTube, but it's also all over, you know, where the podcasts are distributed. I also uh, put up two articles on ringtv.com related to that interview. So make sure you guys check that out. Joseph Parker was real cool. Uh, Setting up the interview with him was really, really easy. The only thing was, I think it's like a 14-hour time difference. So that was kind of crazy. Other than that, though, super cool guy. So much more than just a fighter. There's so much more to him. And I think that the community, not just the fight community, but just the broader community on social media is starting to get an idea of that with the videos he's been releasing during the quarantine, during the lockdown. They've been a lot of fun, man. I think he's really increased his profile. I see my man Pietro's on the chat. I was just about to talk about you, man. So, guys, uh, check out this tee from my man Pietro. P.S. Shirts, check it out. On this tee, Mike Tyson, Arturo Gatti. Boom. Two of the all-time great blood and guts warriors in the sport. This this, uh, picture here... On my tee. This has to go back to like the early 90s. Maybe mid-90s. I don't know, man. But guys, uh, check out my man, P.S. Shirts. Awesome, awesome shirts for diehard fight fans. You're not going to get this kind of shit at the store. You're not going to get this at the mall or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, let me let me stand up just a little bit so you guys can see this. Oh, look at that. There, yeah, you guys can see I am indeed wearing pants. So there you go. You have proof. Or I should say shorts. <laughs> but yeah, dope shirt. Awesome tea. Thank you so much, Pietro. I appreciate it, my man. You guys, check him out. Pietro, uh, post your links in the chat so people can check out your stuff. You guys have seen me rock another one of his teas before. Another Arturo Gatti tea. It was awesome. Or it is awesome. And now I got this one with Mike Tyson on there. You know, I get accused of being a Mike Tyson hater. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm actually a big fan of Tyson. He was the man. And I've made this uh, argument many times. You can make an argument. Of course, Muhammad Ali, probably the biggest figure politically in the history of boxing. But you can make an argument. The most popular star in terms of just boxing, in terms of media ever in the sport is Mike Tyson. And proof of that is what I talked about last week, man, where, where he broke the internet with uh, that six-punch combination that he threw, and he's posted some other videos recently. Everyone's sharing them. He's all over the place. So awesome, T. Thank you so much, Pietro. I appreciate it, man. And uh, speaking of Tyson, he's talking about doing some some um, exhibition fights, you know, coming up, whatever. And Evander Holyfield posted some videos recently on social media saying the same thing. Now, Tyson and Holyfield have their faculties. They're healthy. 
and Holyfield really stays in pretty good shape. Tyson's gotten himself back in shape. I don't love the idea of them taking any punches, even if it's an exhibition. But I don't hate it if it's them. But I also saw uh, James Tony came out with a video saying he wants to get in the mix. Now that I don't like. I do not like that because James Tony has taken way too much punishment. He's got what I call a heavy tongue. And I'm not saying this to diss him. I'm saying it because I care. Like, he does not need to be fighting no more. So I really hope James doesn't come back. But, you know, all these guys, just stay retired, man. Just stay retired. But they saw Mike getting all this attention on social. And everybody was like, oh, shit, I want some of that, you know. I think everyone's just a little bored and cooped up. Do you guys really want to see Mike Tyson or, or Holyfield or any of these guys in an exhibition fight? I don't think I want to. But, um, yes, I did kind of get my hair cut. Look at that. I got that that high fade on the sides. Ooh. I was out working in the yard all day yesterday and I kind of burned the back of my head. <laughs> I got a little I got a little sun on the on the front here. Uh man, I used to go in the sun a lot when I was younger and get real tan. I can show you guys pictures where I look like a different ethnicity because I'm so tan. And now I don't go in the sun at all. I avoid the sunlight, you know. Uh, my sister, she was a nurse. Now she does like reporting for the hospital. But when, I have several family members, you know, that work as nurses and stuff. And they're like, Mike, you got to stay out of the damn sun. So now I, I go out there and do some yard work. And that's why I'm a little red on my face. But yeah, the back of my head right here where it's shaved, I guess because I was bent over all day lifting shit outside. The back of my head is red as hell. So like literally the sides are good. But the back <laughs> looks like a freaking cherry or something. I don't know. Uh, okay, so I want to talk real quickly about this UFC thing. Uh, let's see. Our guest will probably be on like 10 minutes. Yeah, so we got a few minutes here. Uh, UFC 249, I think it was, was last Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida. A few of you guys have asked about it. A lot of people in the boxing community have been talking about it because, you know, everyone's starved for fights. So there's a lot of boxing fans that are also UFC fans. And as for my thoughts on this, I, I think, you know, look, Dana White set everything up. He did uh, testing. Everybody involved was tested. In fact, I believe one fighter tested positive for COVID-19, was taken off the card, was quarantined and everything. So they took extra precautions. And as far as I know, it seems everything came out safe. So I had no issue with it. And I understand why he wants to get back in business. The only thing I didn't realize, it was a pay-per-view. And to me, that was kind of a blown opportunity. You know, at first when I heard about this, I'm like, it's going to do big ratings because I thought it'd be on regular ESPN or something. I It would have done massive ratings if it was just on regular ESPN. But putting this on pay-per-view while we have basically record unemployment, or at least, you know, it's it's we have an unemployment like this in what, a century almost. And it's not just in America, it's global. I don't know if that was the smartest move by Dana White, but the degenerates probably bought this thing, I'm sure. More people probably streamed it. However, I, uh, I saw a bunch of tweets and posts and shares and all this stuff on social today as I caught up with my email and everything after having a busy weekend working on that uh, Joseph Parker project. Uh, that this guy, Francis Ganu, you guys forgive me if I am mispronouncing that name. It, it looks like Nganu or maybe just Ganu. I guess he won some fight by knockout. He's a heavyweight over in UFC. And people are asking, does this guy punch harder than Wilder? Man, this guy could go in boxing and he could probably make an impact. He could probably beat guys in the heavyweight division, blah, blah, blah. People, we have this conversation over and over and over. And I'm forced to step up and be the guy 
not the guy, one of the guys that says, shut up. No, no. It's two different sports, okay? And I'm not trying to diss, diss UFC fighters, MMA fighters. They don't throw punches very well. And I think a lot of casual sports fans, which is the majority of UFC fans, diehard, nuanced, experienced MMA fans. I'm talking guys who actually trained, who fought, who know what they're talking about, have been watching UFC since it was a tiny little club thing that wasn't even allowed in a lot of different jurisdictions. Those old school guys, they're not making comments like that. It's casual sports fans that tune in. Again, that's the majority of UFC's fans. I'm not knocking UFC for that. Dana One has done a masterful job marketing to that crowd. Guys, every network kind of promotion, not just in fight sports, but all sports, basketball, football, whatever it is, all the narratives that they create and push, that's not for the diehard fans. The diehard fans already know their shit. That's for the casuals. So all this, oh, MMA fighters would beat a boxer in a street fight. Oh, the smaller gloves make the punches harder. Oh, this guy could go compete in boxing right now because, you know, the smaller gloves. That's all bullshit. It's for the casual fan who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. So they buy into those narratives, and this stuff trends on social media. It just annoys the shit out of me because we don't see this the other way around. When Tyson Fury beat Deontay Wilder in their rematch in February, Fury used his size. He kind of mauled and grappled and wrestled a little bit and roughed up, physically bullied and roughed up Deontay Wilder. It wasn't like this big one-punch knockout, this destructive type of performance in that sense. It was a dude bullying another dude and being physical and bodying him, right? We didn't see a bunch of boxing fans saying, oh, man, Tyson Fury, because he's 6'9", 270, he could go fight the UFC heavyweight champion and wrestle him to the ground and shit, the way he wrestled Deontay Wilder. I wonder how that would work out. We didn't see a bunch of talking heads on ESPN, you know, the Stephen A. Smiths and those guys saying that kind of shit. People just said, man, what a great fight by Tyson Fury. You know, uh, man, I want to see the third fight, whatever. There's never these constant comparisons of boxers to UFC fighters. Yet, we constantly see people on that side constantly comparing that shit to boxing. And I have to hear 80 million motherfucking times about, oh, Conor McGregor could fuck up this dude in the boxing ring. Oh, this guy could mess up that guy in the boxing ring. Stop! It's two different sports. And it's not just punches. Like, over there, they call it strikes, which makes sense because they're not really punching. It is a strike. They're they're not throwing a shot, a punch, the way boxers do. So I like it. It makes sense that they call them strikes. So because and I'm not going to get into all the specifics of it, but look, in boxing, it's footwork, it's angles, it's spacing, it's distance, it's timing, it's getting the right angles on your punches, the right leverage, it's getting extension. All these things that MMA fighters don't do because in that sport. You have to have you have to be more squared up. You have to have a lower center of gravity. The distance is different. The angles and spacing are different because you have to worry about takedowns. You have to worry about kicks. You have to worry about different things. In boxing, the, the distance is much tighter. The action is much faster. You have to be a lot quicker and faster. In MMA, you have to have a lower center of gravity and be more squared up, like I said before. It's, it's a closer skill set to American football in terms of tackling that sort of uh, move those sorts of movements, those bursts, 
there's lulls and bursts, right? And in boxing, you're on your feet for three minutes. It's closer, I would say, to basketball, the skill set, just the movements of it, the rhythm of it. Even hockey, you could make an argument, okay? So it's just two different things. Stop making these damn comparisons. They don't hold up, and it doesn't matter. This guy, Francis Ngannou, is clearly one of the best MMA fighters in the world right now, or UFC fighters. So that's good enough. Let him dominate over there and be one of the best over there. Why do we have to keep comparing to boxing? It's the same thing I say about female boxing, always comparing itself to men's boxing. If female boxing, quote-unquote, is equal to men's boxing, you wouldn't have to make those comparisons. I think those comparisons are made out of insecurity. I think it's a little brother comparing himself to a big brother. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to say this from a place of looking down or sounding arrogant or cocky. I'm just saying, if you're confident in your product and you feel that you got the best show in town, stop comparing yourself to the other fucking guy. Because you don't have to. It's two different things. They're both great sports. Two different skill sets, okay? And all this, oh, this guy would fuck up this guy in a real fight. Look, in a real fight, quote-unquote, the motherfucker who picks up a lead pipe and bashes your fucking head in. That's who wins a real fight, okay? So stop talking about this guy because he could tackle you, would beat the punch. Look, it's about who's the better fighter, period. It doesn't matter what fucking discipline they're at. Let it go. Enjoy your sport. Enjoy both sports. Enjoy every sport. And stop making these ridiculous comparisons. We've been having this motherfucking conversation since the 90s. And I I admit, I let myself get dragged into it a bunch of times. I've screwed up by getting involved, okay? I'm done with it. Stop making these comparisons. This dude could not beat a top 20 heavyweight at all. I don't give a shit if he trains for six months. People talk about, well, Conor McGregor lasted, what, eight, nine rounds with Floyd. Do you think that Floyd couldn't have fucked him up in one round if he wanted to? Do you not realize Floyd's history with gambling and how he's basically the gross domestic product for the state of Nevada? And what the hell was going on there carrying that dude to the round he carried him to? Do you not get it? Even UFC fans knew what was up with that, the smart ones. Come on, people. And by the way, If Floyd got in the cage, Conor would tackle him and twist his arm and shit, and it'd be done in a minute over on that side too. But if those two ever fought in the cage, you best damn believe that shit would go three rounds because they'd have an over-under in Vegas, and they'd want to go with the over. It'd be the same thing that happened when they boxed, okay? People, grow up! Okay, enough of that. I saw a super chat over here. Super chat from Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. I appreciate it. He says, uh, love the Joe, Joe Parker interview and article, man. Please ask Tom if Bohachuk is going to fight for a mandatory this year. Bohachuk and Majumov will run 154. Great, man. I was actually going to ask about Sergei. So uh, great question. Thank you for the super chat. And thanks for checking out the articles that I wrote for uh, about Joseph Parker. I wrote one article specifically about his social media videos and all that stuff. And then I wrote another article, uh, Best I Faced. I asked Joseph, you know, best jab, best chin. And just we went through like 10 different categories. And he gave me his thoughts on that. Some of them might surprise you guys. So make sure you check that out. Okay. Now, now, you know, I already had a little bit of a sunburn here on my cheeks. 
in my nose. And now, you know, not because I'm heated, it looks even worse. Funny how that shit works. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's go over here to the phone lines. I think uh, our guest might be on. And, yeah. Yeah, I got that out of the way. Let's, uh, let's bring our guest on the line here. Let's see if this is him. Tom, is that you? Hey, Michael Montero. How are you doing out there in Atlanta, Georgia? Good. How you doing, man? I hear uh, Georgia is way ahead of California in terms of uh, opening up. I think uh, people are getting cabin fever yeah, out here man. in California. You, you know how it was when you lived out here. If you, if you don't let people go to the beach out here in, in Southern California, they got big problems. Dude, how do you close the beach when you are the uh, state known for beaches? How does that work? I, I don't I don't really understand that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on uh, policies or things like that. I, I figure, you know, if it's a big, wide open space, at right. least let the people use it. But then naturally you can patrol it uh, and give warnings if for some reason it gets abused because there are some knuckleheads out there that, you know, for some reason don't observe the social distancing. But to take away the right from everyone <clears throat> seems a little bit uh counterproductive but at least uh, the good news is I, I think on wednesday now it's officially the beaches are going to be open and you know venice cool. uh, boardwalk you know where people can roller skate or ride their bikes or walk and i think that'll just open up things uh, a lot more i think when people get outside the house it just feels like a little bit of a at least for me it feels a little bit of a sense of normalcy as long as you're doing something that is again you know along the guidelines of social distancing and everything yeah i, I totally agree with you i mean especially in a place like LA where it's so compact, you know, like you're crushed yeah. like a sardine can, you got to get outside <laughs> with here. I think it's been two weeks that they've had like, or a, a little over a week where restaurants are starting to open up. And I saw a lot of people bashing Georgia on the news because of that. But here's the thing, you know, Tiff and I went out last weekend, we got dinner, we ordered a couple of drinks, no uh -huh. bars. are. I think some bars are opening, but they're like restaurant bars. But they mm -hmm. space the tables 10 feet apart. Everyone's wearing a mask. Uh, you're sitting outside mm -hmm. on the patio. You're not inside. Mm -hmm. It was fine. You know what I'm saying? And we're supporting the local businesses, the small businesses around here in the neighborhood that are so important and vital. Every community is like an ecosystem. So California, yeah. man, crazy state. I, I love it, but <laughs> I don't know, man. All right. Uh, yeah, it's um, – oh, Go ahead. It, 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 what I was going to say is that uh, I, I agree with that is, you know, if, if everything is uh, spaced out and, and uh, you know, people are observing the right guidelines, it makes makes sense. But here it's uh, the first time, uh, you know, I don't cook, Michael. So I was like 90 percent or 95 percent. I would always be in restaurants. And uh, okay. on Friday was the very first time that I actually uh, picked up a lunch uh, to support one of the local businesses out here. And, you know, it just felt good, you know, going, getting out and wearing a mask and picking up the restaurant. You know, you're supporting them. I mean, picking up the food from the restaurant. So uh, definitely uh, you want to make sure that these businesses that we appreciate are in business by the time uh, things open up, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's amazing how good it felt just to be able to go out somewhere and support a local small business, you know, a family-owned business. A lot of times, a lot of these restaurants, you'll find that it's a family running it. And a lot of times it's an immigrant family. You know, it's a family right. that maybe the parents moved here and the kids are American and they're all working together. And it's like, man, this is the American yeah. dream. Let's support this. Yeah. You know, but there's yeah. people, of course, yeah. the Twitter heroes have to bash that. But uh, speaking of getting back to work, let's talk about getting sure. back to boxing. Because I know okay. um, you, you just had a call with the California Commission earlier today, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it was a conference call. I really got to appreciate the, the, the commission and what they're doing here in California, trying to keep everyone informed, you know, taking input from uh, you know, licensed uh, promoters or, you know, everyone that's uh, interested in doing business here. You know, a big topic was um, UFC doing uh, their show in Florida. You know, Florida also seems to be pretty progressive in terms of allowing WWE there. Uh, UFC went there on Saturday. Um, you know, my understanding was for for the majority of everything went smooth. Uh, there was one uh, fighter, it was you know, well-reported one fighter, tested positive, I think two of his cornermen right. also tested positive, so they, they weren't able to compete. But, um, uh, you know, I was texting with Dana, and, and he said it was an overwhelming success. I, I think everyone was so so uh, pent up and uh, on the demand of just watching live competitive sports and there was really nothing else on in terms of the live uh, programming uh, sports wise that uh, I think everyone was tuned in um, to that UFC event. So it was nice to see that it went off successfully. You know, if there would have been a major hitch or a big problem with the event, it could have put us back, you know, it had to go yeah. smoothly because if they had one issue, yep. Uh, boy, yep. that would have just blown everything up, maybe for the rest of the year, yep. you know? Yep. Well, mm-hmm. is there any breaking news from the conference call today in California? Are there any dates, any timelines as to when, you know, club shows can come back, anything like that? Well, I'm hearing also uh, on, on a bigger topic that, uh, you know, uh, other sports leagues were really keeping a close eye on how it went with okay. uh, the UFC, uh, you know, NFL, uh, baseball, NBA, and uh, because it went off, uh, like I said, it went off, uh, you know, without any major hitches. I think that was a positive encouragement for for uh, those leagues as well. But um, uh, to your question, um, the, they, they were clear in California that uh, there's really no uh, set time frame for, I guess it's what's called the phase three opening, where uh, they would allow a sporting event like boxing, but no, no live audience. Um, the guidelines would be uh, everyone would need to get tested uh, at least twice uh, beforehand. And um, what they're looking at doing, because it doesn't make sense to get a test or it doesn't really have a big purpose to get a test. And then someone goes on an airplane and then maybe contracts it on the plane after right. they get tested. So then they need to do a second test um, uh, the day before they get like the results. The lab that California uses gets them in 24 hours. So uh, if you test like on a Wednesday and then you pass your, t- uh, Wednesday or Thursday, you pass your test, then you would be allowed to then, uh, go on Friday to the weigh-in, you know, and only the people that have been tested, uh, would be allowed in that area of the weigh-in, you know, after all the commission people, TV production people, you know, anyone physically that's going to be in there, my guess is they don't really go into detail, but I'm guessing there'd be some type of a designation, whether it's a wristband or credential or a credential, you'd be able to switch out. So a wristband, and then um, only those people would be allowed there. And then, uh, and then uh, they'll have to be, uh, you know, pretty much quarantined until uh, the event itself the next day. So there's going to be a lot of different procedures that people aren't used to being done, but at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel of how, live boxing can actually uh, resume. I think the earliest they're looking at in California probably realistically is uh, beginning of July. I think that's Absolutely. the California time frame. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to a few people and really since March, July I think has been the target out there. Um, but, you know, you think about 
I, I know you've done a lot of interviews recently. I know you've been talking about this, so sorry to beat a dead horse because you probably answered these same questions a hundred times. But, you know, I think a lot of fans don't think about the fact that there are some fighters that can rely on a TV contract, TV money coming in. But there's a lot of fighters, most fighters, where the way that they're making money is off of the ticket sales, right? I mean, those shows you do in Hollywood there at the Avalon, that's very heavily dependent on ticket sales. So when can something like that conceivably come back? That's a that's a million dollar question. You know, it's one thing to allow the fights to go on that would be televised. They're basically going to be in a, either a completely empty arena or TV studio, or you know, people are talking about doing unboxing gyms. Uh, you know, with the camera set up, that type of thing. Avalon would work theoretically uh, for something like that because it's a smaller venue, but it's a great uh, TV type of venue. Um, you've been there a number of times. That would uh, that would work, but, uh, you know, for the actual club shows or the smaller events that are dependent on the ticket sales or, you know, the fighters, like you said, that uh, sell a lot of tickets that are dependent on, on ticket sales, um, that, uh, I think, first of all, it's going to depend on how things go, you know, starting in July. And then probably, you know, I mean, just a guess, it wouldn't be until September, October, November before they open it up in limited capacity um, for public. And then, you know, I think a lot of it's going to be inter interrelated with uh, the other leagues also, because if you're in Madison Square Garden, for example, you know, whether it's an NBA game with the Knicks or a hockey game with the Rangers or a boxing event with Triple G, whatever it is, um, it's all going to be similar guidelines. That's where it kind of cross. Uh, it won't be just the boxing guidelines. It'll be or the, or the athletic commission guidelines. It'll be NBA, uh, NHL, you know, across the, uh, across different uh, lines like that. So uh, I, I know people are really concerned uh, with the big arenas, like how that's even going to work because you open up a big arena like that and you're at 40% capacity or maybe 50% capacity. Um, think about like maybe other, every other row uh, potentially, you know, selling tickets and then having spaced out and then uh, block more tickets, you know, that type of thing. You're really taking away a lot of the capacity, but then to open up a building like that is not cheap. So it's right. it's going to be interesting times, and even the football stadiums. I mean, you know, we got two new football stadiums here, right. one in L.A., one in Las Vegas, and imagine, <laughs> you know, you normally have eighty thousand fans there or sixty thousand fans, whatever it works out to be, and and uh, you're you're basically just playing on a football field. I mean, it was it was kind of eerie. I don't know if you, you watched it or not, but I, I tuned in. I wanted to support the, the UFC and. You know, Dana, for being really kind of a pioneer, taking a lot of risks, uh, really could have been a bad hit on his reputation because I know, yeah. you know, he was pretty out there. He put himself out there really wanting to be, you know, the first one back. And if there would have been a, if it would have backfired, I know it would have been a big uh, backlash for him. So I wanted to support uh, the UFC in that event. And um, uh, it was just eerie because normally they do a great job with the production, TV production, uh, ring walks, the music, the lights, the entertainment. All that's and, gone. And a big part of that. Yeah, all the uh, the fan noise that you the cheering and everything, and just being inside of an empty arena really was uh, pretty pretty uh, bizarre. Yeah, I think you know if you look at every type of media now that people consume, whether it's uh, television, movies, news, whatever, there's really no reason yeah. to see most of it live. You can Netflix a show and binge watch it. You can you don't have to go to the theater to see a movie anymore. But when it comes to sports, that is still the one form of media that people want to see live. And a big part yep. of that, maybe the biggest part, is 
the crowd. So how do you make up for that? Because as you said, Tom, like it's not just the crowd, it's the pyrotechnics, it's the music, it's the lighting, it's all these different yeah. things that you really <laughs> don't do if there's no crowd there. So basically you're going to get a dude walking to the ring with his chief second, maybe yeah. his cut man, whatever. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, really. It's really a big twist on, uh, on everything. I mean, you know, I mean, we've been involved in some of the biggest fights, uh, right. in boxing, you know, as far as attendance, you know, when, when the Klitschko fights over in Europe with the big soccer stadiums or, you know, Klitschko Joshua at Wembley Stadium and, and to take that type of an atmosphere away is really, it, it's really uncharted uh, territory because there's always been, you know, it's like every so often there's a challenge, but this is like a worldwide uh, challenge that just affects everyone. And, you know, when you start canceling soccer matches in Europe, I mean, that's their lifeblood over there. That's like right. us over here, you know, with baseball, uh, football and, and um, you know, it, it really takes some, or the Olympics. I mean, think about the Olympics every four years, these athletes have trained, you know, their entire life or at least the, you know, last four years, 10 years, whatever it is to compete in the Olympics. And then that gets canceled. I mean, it's really such a global scale right now that when we're talking about a local show in Hollywood, <laughs> it's kind of dwarf, but you know, it's just as important. I mean, these guys, you know, they, they train hard, they work hard, they have uh, big dreams and aspirations and, I, think, uh, I heard you talking about Sorry Bolichuk before, and you know, he he was supposed to fight in April, and Brian Sabayo was supposed to fight in March on the on the right. Hollywood show, and you know these guys are right at the uh, ascension of their careers, and uh, it's so important. Like when we're you know developing Triple G, it's just like you know the main thing was, you know, fighting five times a year, four times a year, and and just being out there internationally, you know, wherever wherever he fought, and that's how he kind of rose to start him so quickly and, you know, coupled naturally because he was so exciting and so many knockouts. But if you don't get that exposure, you don't get that activity when you're kind of like in the beginning stages of your career, it's hard to really, uh, make that transition. Uh, and it's going to put people on hold, you know, potentially six months, uh, up to a year, just depending on how all this uh, shakes out. And it's huge. I mean, a guy like Bohachuk is right there, right there. Right and on the cusp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just, man, just yeah. right. I mean, this was going to be the year where maybe you yeah. know he could work himself into a mandatory. In fact, one of my uh, one one of the guys on the chat just asked about that. You know, what happens to a situation where maybe a fighter was right there at the cusp, you know, getting that mandatory spot? Can that be pushed up or anything now, or does basically the what was going to take place, you know, the, over the first and second half of this year, does that plan continue? Or does the plan change now? Do you think some of those situations could be expedited? Well, we're still going to try to push them as much as we can. Um, you know, typically the way it works with boxing ratings and organizations and things of that nature, you know, if you're inactive for over a year, you get dropped out of the ratings. I think, uh, you know, everyone's going to take into consideration this, uh, you know, three-month, four-month, five- or six-month period where people can't fight just because, you know, you weren't able to fight. But, um once uh, it starts up again, then naturally the progression would be try to you know get him to to fight uh, or try to get a fight with uh, you know he's rated number twelve now in WBC, number ten in the IBF, so he's cracked like the, the top ten ratings of the world. And uh, if he beats uh, another top ten opponent, then he's like right there, you know, toward you know working towards a mandatory. So I think it just puts a day. It doesn't put him backwards. It just puts a delay on you know, his position, uh, of when everything starts up again, then, you know, he'll have to stay active. And, uh, the great thing about a guy like Bolichuk 
he realizes that, uh, I mean, he saw what happened with Triple G. He's been in the training camp up there a number of times with Gennady, and, and he sees, look, you got to fight. you got to be exciting. You, gotta, you, know, you don't have to knock guys out, but it doesn't hurt. And uh, the tougher the competition, the faster they're all uh, in the ratings. And uh, that's that, that's the stage where he's at uh, right now. So in terms of mandatory, uh, getting back to the question that uh, uh, callers or viewers had to ask, uh, that probably realistically won't be in a mandatory position until at least uh, next year, just from okay. uh, how things are shaking out. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, I think there could be an opportunity for a state like maybe Georgia, Florida, whoever it is. There's going to be at some point one state where the governor says, OK, we've played around for a couple months. We've had a couple sporting events with no crowds. We're ready to open up to, to a crowd now. If you let's let's say it's Georgia and you wanted to put on uh, those shows you do at the Avalon. But let's say, you know, maybe you could get something worked out to come to Atlanta and put on a show here. If this state's open and no other state's open, how does that work with, let's say, the sanctioning organization? Could it, could the sanctioning organization put the kibosh on that and say, no, no, because they have their own guidelines and they don't want to go with what George is doing, for example? Do you go by the state commission or are you kind of do you have to adhere to the sanctioning organizations in that, you know, with that stuff? Well, for the title fights, you definitely have to also abide by the sanctioning body of rules. Uh, sometimes the WBC, for example, or whichever sanctioning body it is, WBA or WBO or IBF, whatever it is, uh, have all their own individual rules. Uh, for a title fight, then it kind of takes over, uh, you know, as far as the for them to actually sanction a fight, it has to definitely go by WBC rules. But in most cases, they will defer to the local uh, commission. So if you go to Germany, if you go to Germany, it's, uh, you know, it's different dealing with the German commission than it is, for example, uh, California commission or the Nevada commission, or even, you know, you go to UK and that's a whole different volume over there. The British board of boxing control is like its own, you know, authority uh, right. uh, over there. So they'll, they'll defer uh, to uh, the local uh, commission rule. So theoretically, if a commission will allow, uh, a fight to go on and will allow uh, uh, public uh, to be there and under whatever circumstances is, whether they get uh, you know tested with a temperature uh, thermometer or they have to wear masks or whatever the circumstances. I think that uh, uh, the commission or the sanctioning body would defer to the local uh, commission because the commission is the one that actually would take the responsibility. Uh, when you get licensed to compete, right. you need to be licensed with that local commission. So they take on the responsibility and liability for uh, the testing. Now, WBC has, for example, their own additional uh, testing requirements. They have like the clean boxing program, which right. fighter can get tested year round. So they go a lot of times up and uh, beyond, uh, above and beyond uh, the local commissions. But uh, I, I would see if there is a uh, state that allows it that the sanctioning bodies would allow a title fight to go on in that particular state. I think they'd go along with it because ultimately they're going to get their sanctioning fees. So if no one fights, they don't get their fees. You know what I mean? Everything's funny yeah. when you're making money. Um, I, I just think there's a big opportunity for one of these commissions to jump in and say, Hey, we're open for business. We can have fights here. If they could show that, you know, their COVID cases are, are low and, you know, uh, things are trending downward. I, there's a big opportunity there, but we, we had somebody in the chat earlier ask about Superfly. Are there any plans uh -huh. in the works 
to, uh, I, of course, I know everything's been crushed with the, the lockdown, but are there any plans in the works or were there at any point to do another Superfly card? I tell you, that was one of my favorite uh, series. I know oh, you those went were to awesome, number, man. Oh, yeah. Superfly shows. We did three of them. And uh, I think for the value, <laughs> the TV ratings HBO got versus the, the value uh, of, of the license fees they paid. I mean, we really, we really changed the economics of the flyweight, flyweight division with those uh, Superfly shows, even when Chocolatito was fighting as a co-feature on the Triple G show. So if there's a way to to, uh, uh, to start that series again, I would definitely uh, – I've, I've been looking at uh, ways to do it because I, I really think it was uh, successful, not only locally, the ticket sales, because they were really popular fighters, but – um, you know, internationally, uh, they were big, a big success. So, um, that's, that was one of the, one of the theories that was de- uh, near and dear to my heart. And, uh, got to acknowledge uh, Peter Nelson, uh, for that, for allowing, you know, because you really couldn't on HBO or you know, any of these premium networks, they didn't really want to put on the smaller divisions. They were always, you know, welterweights, weights, middleweights, especially heavyweights. And so, you know, with the Superfly shows is uh, most of the fights were a lot more entertaining than the um, than the heavier fighters, so yeah, it was uh, it was a great uh, and it, and it gave those the guys that were making nominal amount of money uh, in their fights, uh, you know, a, a bigger platform. I mean, look at Chocolatito Gonzalez. Uh, Ramon was, you know, at that high level for such a long time, but only when he got on HBO, only when we gave him the exposure and the promotion, then did people start recognizing, oh, you know, he should be at the top of the pound for pound list. Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of yeah, people so, have never right. just never seen him fight before that, and, and several right. of the fighters yeah. on those cards. Yeah. The thing I remember about yeah. those cards was just all the different flags in the crowd. I, yeah. You just saw flags from <laughs> yeah. every corner of the earth. Yeah. It was so cool, That's man. True. It was like being at the Olympics yeah. or something. It was those were yeah, so much when fun. In a way, when Inouye was on that show, and they had we had the Japanese flags, yeah. and then naturally uh, Chocolatito had the had the Nicaraguan flags, and then. Uh, Estrada, he was uh, he was on every one of the Superfly shows. He had a lot of Mexican flags, and so yeah, it really was uh, international. Uh, I think Donnie Nantes uh, was on one. Artem Delakin. Yeah. Uh, you just had guys from yep. everywhere, so it was so much fun just to see that. It just it felt like I was at the World Cup or something. It was just so much fun. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask you, of course, about Triple G because a lot has been said about um, you know the third fight with Canelo. I think the, mm-hmm. the people at the zone would love to do it this year, but of course right. COVID blew up. That fight would have to go to Vegas to, to, you know, bring in the gate money. We don't know if that's possible. And then triple G or it was either him or Jonathan Banks in some recent interviews have said, well, we're not going to fight Canelo next. We're going to fight uh, Camille Zamirza or Zer. I always mess up his name. Zermeta, the, uh, the mandatory for the IBF title. What's the latest? Yep. Well, I think there's a lot of different dynamics involved in that particular situation. Uh, I mean, just to be clear, you know, Triple G was set on fighting Canelo last September, um, you know, when he signed a deal with uh, with the zone. Uh, Canelo, for whatever reason, chose not to fight him at that at that time. Uh, I think a lot of people can speculate why Canelo didn't want to fight him then. Then uh, uh, Triple G, you know, I think Canelo fought Kovalev, which you know, clearly um, Triple G Canelo it's a much bigger fight, much higher profile fight than much more competitive. Uh, Kola was, but um, yeah, and 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 competitive, I, I guess you could say that as well. But um, um, then you know, Gennady committed to fighting uh, Zermeta, who's his IBF mandatory. I, I uh, saw some of your friends on Twitter 
saying something about, you know, trying to compare Andre Ward and, and Ward took some easy fights, you know, after he was off for layoff and why does Gennady want an easy fight now before he fights Canelo? It's like, it's his mandatory fight. It's not an easy fight. It's an undefeated guy, but it's his obligation. But going a later beyond that, what we were talking about is, uh, you know, uh, opening up fights to the public. I mean, when we did the triple G fights with uh, Canelo, uh, Canelo one and two, uh, you know, we, we broke some record or set some records up there for, for Las Vegas for, for middleweight championships. I think we had like the third highest gate for the first fight. Uh, and so when you take that component of a huge fight like that and you take it out uh, of the financial equation, now all of a sudden you're talking about something completely different. So I don't even think it's realistic to have a, a huge fight, a huge, huge audience by September or whatever date that they're, that they're speculating that that third fight might happen. So, um, you know, Gennady made his comments, uh, Jonathan Banks, you know, made his comments. I don't really, you know, want to dwell on it too much other than, you know, to, uh, that it wasn't just like a, a thing that he didn't want to fight Canelo, which I know a lot of people like to, to, uh, you know, try to speculate on that. It was really more, uh, he wanted to stay with his original plan. He had signed to fight Zarameta after that fight was scheduled at the beginning of this year, uh, the first quarter of this year. And it's just really just being postponed, uh, to take that fight and then you know he's always wanted the the trilogy fight he's just not going to put his career on hold uh, and beat the hold to Canelo again when when Canelo changed his mind in in September and, and he said that in his his comments so you know I kind of stand by exactly what he said uh, exactly what he said there. yeah it's always interesting to me the way uh, Gennady's comments are received uh, for people to criticize him when he's fought Canelo twice, he fought Derevyanchenko, Jacobs. I mean, those four fights right there in the last few years, those are three of the top five middleweights in the world, and he fought all those guys. So, and then he has a mandatory that was. I, I think you guys were going to. I think you were exploring doing that in Chicago, right? In February, originally was it that Chicago? Was, yeah, that was that was the original plan because okay, I'm in yeah. Polish and uh, you know Chicago has a big Polish uh, right, population. Right. It was like I just fought there. Uh, I was I there for that one. Show. Yeah, they did well. So yeah, that was that would have been uh, that would have been interesting to do in uh, Chicago, but uh, everything has kind of changed uh, since then, and um, you know it's just uh, really up in the air as to. We don't even know when a fight could take place, and then wherever the location is, you know that'll be uh, kind of secondary. But uh, I think everyone would like to kind of get a fight like that uh, done, and then see what happens with the uh, you know see what happens with the Canelo fight. I know you've been a big supporter of Triple G over the years, and you've probably had your Twitter wars with uh, a lot of the people that uh, you know for whatever reason try to criticize them. I, I uh, I was talking to Doug Fisher, you know, we do that Sunday uh, Periscope uh, uh, every week. And uh, I was, you know, cleaning out some of my, uh, you know, just organizing some of my things. And I came across some some older ring magazines, you know, 2013. It was just a random one, March 2013. I looked at the middleweight ratings. I looked at all the guys in the top 10 of the ring magazine ratings. And and Gennady either fought them and knocked them out. Or there was four top 10 guys that uh, he knocked out. Uh, uh, Sergio Martinez, who was considered the best at that particular time, you know, uh, his promoter, you know, famously said he'd never put him in with uh, Triple G. Then there were um, Pirog, who got injured, and Gennady had actually signed uh, to fight him, and then uh, Pirog got injured and, and couldn't fight him. So if you look at, I mean, and then there was, uh, uh, and Dom had vacated his title in order not to fight 
uh, Gennady actually <laughs> mandatory. I've never heard that before. Mandatory actually vacating his spot, not just like the, the champion. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> happen it's very often. Bizarre. It's been bizarre. I mean, that happened with Canelo originally when, uh, you know, Gennady was a unified champion and uh, a fighter actually vacates a title not to not to fight someone like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's you know, for the people that know the history of Triple G and, and go deeper into his, you know, what's really gone on in his career, they see, like, we, we went to great lengths to fight the best available guys. I mean, nobody wanted to fight Martin Murray. You remember Martin Murray fought Sergio Martinez in Argentina, Dropped him down, dropped him twice, only got credit for one, and arguably won that fight. And nobody wanted to fight Murray because he wasn't a champion, but a very dangerous opponent. We actually, uh, Gennady flew to Monte Carlo just to fight him because he couldn't get a visa to the United States. Um, you know, he, he had a challenge getting his visa over here to the U.S., but he could fight him in Monte Carlo, and that was the best available person uh, at the time. And, and the people like to kind of overlook uh, those type of things. But, um, yeah, he's he's on track. Uh he looks great physically, you know, he, he looks like he doesn't age and I know he takes well, well care of his body and all right. that type of stuff. So I, I think Gennady is one of those guys that really can fight as long as he wants to, because people start to, to try to bring that up, you know, as far as, uh, you know, he's getting older and that type of thing. And, and uh, I don't really see much of a difference. I know there were a lot of things with Devonchenko fight. Look, he can't take anything away from Devonchenko. There's a lot of people who thought Devonchenko uh, beat Danny Jacobs or at least got a draw. Right with Danny Jacobs and Gennady was one of those guys that uh, fought the you know, young, hungry guy that was coming up um, from Ukraine. And my friends from Ukraine said, why would you fight Devonchenko? It just makes no sense. They know his amateur background. And uh, you know, Gennady had no problem um, taking that fight. He won his IBF title back. And if he makes another title defense now, that was the other thing with the Zermeta fight. Oh, getting back to that, if he makes one more title defense, he'll actually have broken uh, Bernard Bernard Hopkins would be consecutive uh, title reigns, but it would be uh, 21 title defenses. Uh, would be the most uh, middleweight title defenses in, in boxing history. So when you can make history like that, that's a big, that's a big statement. Yeah, if make. that happens, Tom, just the, some of the people on Twitter and YouTube are going to go nuts because then they're going to talk yeah. about WBA regular versus WBA super. It's just oh man, because I, I mean, I think Gennady obviously is favored against Zermeta, and if he beats him. You're right. That is the, the in terms of total defenses, he's there. Yep. And there's just going to yep. be some people who just won't like it. I don't know what it is about Triple G, but he's kind of become a polarizing figure. I guess when you're one of the top guys in the sport, that just naturally kind of happens. But there's some people, I don't know if they're threatened maybe by what he represents, because I have talked about this in recent videos. You know, there's always mm -hmm. been these demographic waves and shifts in boxing. And, uh, you know, right now you're seeing the Eastern European and Central Asian fighters really start to make a mark in the sport. And maybe that just scares people. I don't know what it is, but you're just seeing a lot of these guys starting to come over now. And they're not just opponents anymore. They're coming over and they're making money, big time money. They're getting contracts, all this stuff. So, well, I think Gennady opened up a lot of doors because yeah. of his success, because of his TV ratings that we're getting on HBO. He really opened up a lot of doors where, you know, a lot of people, when I, when I had the meetings, I, just, I remember like yesterday when I was meeting with HBO and, and meeting with Showtime, we were basically begging just to put, get an opportunity to put Gennady on a television platform. Well, people and, forget uh, the only those days. A lot of people don't know. I mean, we've talked, so, you know, but a lot of people, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tom. I just want to get this out there. A lot of people don't sure. know that you guys went through that process. They think that, I think some people just have this notion that 
Usain Gennady came over here and was fighting for millions and millions of dollars on HBO. And it, it's not it's like that. He was barely covering costs up front. There were fights where he didn't make any money, uh, not necessarily on HBO, but when we fought, when he fought down in, uh, he fought in Panama a couple of times, he fought right. in Ukraine. I remember we fought on the, on the K2 show in Ukraine uh, with Bison Groff. Uh, it was basically, he was just fighting so that uh, he can make title defenses and, and uh, stay active. And uh, then you got the, we got the big break on HBO, and that only happened. That only happened because Daniel Gill pulled out. We had cornered uh, Felix Sturm. You, I think you remember that uh, Sturm had gotten so many uh, exceptions from the WBA, as right. uh, Gennady was the mandatory challenger for over two years. And then finally, it was okay. Either you make a unification fight, or you have to fight Triple G. And so he he offered a Daniel Gill. Uh, remember the numbers exactly. He offered six hundred grand for Daniel Gill to go over to uh, Germany. If if we could have got another uh, another champion to fight Triple G for that amount of money when he was on HBO, I mean it was just uh, right. it was crazy the the way Triple G changed the economics of that whole middleweight uh, division. But anyway, um, so he jumped out of the fight with Pirog, and because uh, he figured uh, Sturm would be an easier fight uh, in Germany, which turned out to be the case. He he, he won that fight, and Pirog you know, was coming off the big knockout over uh, Danny Jacobs, so nobody wanted to fight him. So, you know, we told uh, HBO, yeah, there's no problem, we'll fight him. And then Pirog got injured, and then Artie Kalulu was a promoter of that show, and Artie tried everything to get us to turn down the fight. He, When Pirog pulled out, he, like, reduced the money, saying, uh, well, HBO's paying less, which, you know, probably wasn't the case. But then also, like, he got the completely opposite style. <laughs> Pirog was a huge right-handed puncher, and he gets this boxer, uh, European champion Proxa, who yeah. oh, coincidentally also was from uh, Poland, and uh, mover, southpaw, you know, a lot of fighters, you know, it is, you know, two weeks before a fight, or I don't know how long it was, maybe a month before the fight, you're training, I think it was maybe three weeks before, you're training for a right-handed fighter, you got sparring, right-handed, and then you switch to southpaw, and most of the guys are, I'm not going to fight this this guy. And uh, Gennady didn't care. At that time, he's just like, yeah, I'll fight anyone, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, he made his HBO debut, but that's uh, the sacrifices he went through, and then as soon as he had that spectacular knockout on HBO, then it's like, oh, okay, the fans want to see more of them. And I think some of the backlash that you mentioned, you know, you don't get it until you get to a certain certain point. But right. I think the problem that a lot of the fans, or not a lot, some of the fans, some selected fans and fighters, uh, that Triple G actually became more popular than some American uh, fighters. In fact, some American gold medalists who just weren't as entertaining or weren't as active as Triple G, you know, Gennady just wanted to fight. He was like a fighting machine. He was up in camp in Big Bear, sacrificing time with his family. But as one, you know, he was fighting five times, four times, three times a year, very active. He was always the most active champion at that level. And I always put kind of put that out there publicly in uh, press releases and things of that nature. But you know, he was active because he was willing to go to Monte Carlo and fight in a smaller venue for for a lower amount of money. But he's making the title defenses and knocking guys out. I mean, people kind of pan the Ishida fight, but if you look at Ishida. Knocked out James Kirkland. He went to Moscow to fight, or Russia to fight, uh, Pirog, uh, who was knocking everyone out. He couldn't knock him out. And then Gennady, like, knocked him halfway through the ropes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those were the type of fights, his activity, and that just increased legend of Triple G. And now people, you know, come to me all the time and say, oh, I got the next Triple G from Kazakhstan. And I'm like, well, there really is only one Triple G. So, you know, it went from, you know, going, getting back to your point, people not knowing... Uh, a lot of people didn't even know where Kazakhstan was before, you know, Triple <laughs> yeah. G came came over here, or you know, we had the experience with the Kuchko Ukraine. 
yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, Kazakhstan was even a step further uh, removed because Vladimir had won the gold medal in the Olympics here in Atlanta, and so people, and he was a heavyweight, so that made things a lot easier for them. But for Gennady from Kazakhstan, and his English wasn't you know wasn't that great, especially when he first came over here. It was really uh, a hard job building him, and I think that's where some of the resentment came in. Is like, how is a guy from Kazakhstan who doesn't speak English that well, and he's selling more tickets, he's getting higher ratings on TV than uh, some of the American guys. And uh, I know that was a problem. If you wonder why he only appeared on ring magazine one time back then. And there was uh, that mentality back then of, we need to put on an American fighter on, on, uh, on ring magazine instead of, you know, someone from Kazakhstan, which has totally changed now with, right. you know, look at Lomachenko, look at Usyk, you know, now it's like so many of these guys that uh, Gennady kind of opened the doors for, but they're they're tremendous fighters from that uh, those Eastern Bloc countries. Yeah, I think um, like I said, we're we're seeing a wave, and now you're going to start to see these guys from Uzbekistan. You know, the Majorovs, sure. the Bet the Bullies, these guys. Um, you yeah. know, I, we talked a little bit. Of course, we talked about Triple G, uh, Chocolatito, Bohacek. Do you have any young young prospects that you know you have uh, maybe just signed or guys that you're talking to that you uh, want to just shout out that you think uh, you know fans need to need to see? Sure, I, I think everyone needs to keep an eye on Adrian Montoya, who uh, we just signed from uh, Mexico. He actually kind of randomly came onto the show. That's the beauty about the Hollywood Fight Night series. It's really developed. For, I mean, Triple G Promotions has, you know, does the big shows. Triple G shows are, are some of the biggest shows in the world. But in order to develop fighters, you know, I wanted to start this this Hollywood series where, you know, they can go, they can fight four times a year. Uh, in fact, the last two years, we did five shows at Hollywood. I think we're going to cut that back on the four year, four um, this year. But to give the, the local fighters some activity, and then you can build it. Even a Brian Sabayo, who's a world-class fighter, who had a, a great amateur career, or Bowachuk also, you give him some activity, and then you can see, oh, okay, uh, this guy looks like he's proving himself. Does he want to, you know, is, is a larger promotional company going to want to, you know, work with him uh, kind of like as a, as a testing uh, testing ground? And Sabayo uh, fought at the Hollywood show and then fought on a couple of Triple G shows uh, at the Garden last year and, and, you know, fought tough guys. He sold a lot of tickets. He did everything you're supposed to do. But those are kind of like, you know, the, the, the developmental grounds. Uh, so that's who Adrian Montoya. He was going to be on that March show that got canceled. But uh, definitely keep an eye on him. He's uh, very dedicated. Seems very focused. One of those uh, exciting, exciting fighters. And, um, and that's really the only recent sign. I mean, there's a lot of other great fighters that fight on the, the Hollywood show. Uh, George Navarro. Uh, he's he's a lighter guy, 115 pounder, but. Uh, He's exciting. Uh, Adrian Corona, you know, a lot of guys that uh, that are coming up um, are there to keep an eye on. Uh, Sabayo, naturally, I think he had a breakout year last year, and uh, he's just uh, he's one of those guys that really uh, rises to the occasion when he's uh, at a spotlight under you know the bright lights of Madison Square Garden, a Triple G show, in a tough fight. You know, a lot of a lot of guys have a tendency to freeze, you know, in the big moment, and it's like a maker that. You know, make or break moment, and uh, Brian Sabayo really came out uh, impressively. Uh, and, and fighters, you know, they have to take a risk. Uh, they have to take a risk to, to get on a show like that. But if you pass that test, then all of a sudden your career is uh, light years ahead. And that's what you know. Same thing with Gennady. Like he was fighting the toughest available guys that would actually get in the ring with him um, at that time, and, and the results then you know kind of speak for uh, for themselves. He wasn't just beating guys. You know, majority decisions or 
unanimous decisions, 12-round fights, they're boring. You know, he was knocking guys out. It was almost like the Mike Tyson effect where, you know, people would pay a lot of money to go see Mike fight, and he would knock guys out in the first round, second round, third round, whatever it was, but you never heard anyone complain about it. It was the same thing with Triple G. You know, he had a lot of early knockouts in his career, like the, uh, I'm pretty sure you were at the Rubio fight the first time he fought in L.A. Yeah. Uh, at the Hub Center, and he knocked out... Uh, Rubio, like in two rounds, and Rubio was kind of a journeyman at that point. You know, still world class fighter, but you know, uh, wasn't like anyone was writing home about him. But uh, he happened to be a Mexican opponent, and and uh, just fit perfect for that particular thing. We that particular show, and we broke the sales record. The number of people at that, that at that venue. Yeah, yeah and the crowd. Great just I remember the crowd atmosphere for that fight was just something else, man. Um, Tom, I'm looking here at the time. I, I, I promised I'd only keep you on for 20 minutes. I've kept you on for twice <laughs> That's okay. as long. I always like talking. But, I always uh, like talking to you, Michael. Oh, I, I wanted to compliment you, by the way. Uh, I know you did the Samir Azizi podcast, and uh, yours oh, was yeah. one, of the, one of the best uh, interviews. are very entertaining. Uh, so that was uh, yeah. Oh, that was thank nice you. It was yeah. weird being on the other side, uh, being interviewed. Uh, it, was, it was fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that, Tom. Well, um, thank you so much, and uh, we'll definitely do it again in the future once uh, the boxing world gets back going. But uh, until yeah, then, my friend, uh, stay safe. And... All right, I appreciate that. Yeah, stay safe out there. Uh, we miss you out here in, in California. I remember we used to go to that cigar bar in Santa Monica all the time with uh, yeah. Steve Tam and Fisher and the Good guys. And, uh, Mike, uh, that was uh, that was one of, that was also one of my favorite shows, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it'll be good to see you guys in person at one of these shows uh, uh, coming up. And uh, stay safe out there in uh, Georgia. All right, will do. Have a good night. All thanks right, again, thanks, Tom. Mike. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Loeffler. Awesome, awesome talk. That's the thing about Tom. He's always willing to chat, and he'll tell you. Uh, he has a way of giving you exactly his honest opinion, telling you what's on his mind, without dissing other people, even though he might be critical. So you guys heard during that interview, you heard, you know, he took a little dig at Andre Ward, but he didn't say anything untrue. A little dig at Canelo, but he didn't say anything untrue. You know, he he keeps it, he's just very, very good at uh, keeping it professional, keeping it even keel, while still telling you the truth about some shit that some people uh, don't necessarily want to hear. We got a call here. Uh, guys, by the way, if you, uh, you want to call in, Jump on here. We got one call here. I'll jump to real quick. Any of the other guys want to chat? Uh, get on the get on the line. Seven seven three. You're on TNC. Go. Man, good interview with Tom. Appreciate Great stuff it. there. Um, I want to touch on the UFC event, okay? Because I was watching the. A lot of people were critical of the striking in MMA, and it's funny if you watch the kickboxer, the decorated kickboxer, Jarzino Rosenstruck. Um, he looked like the sloppy wrestler. People like to brag and offer just a bunch of wrestlers with sloppy hands. And if you look at the main event, it's called main and co-main event. It's all four wrestlers come from wrestling backgrounds. And they look like the polished strikers, the wrestlers. Uh, someone like Justin Gaethje, the combinations he was throwing, the, it, you get a nice stiff jab that put him, that was the final sequence to put uh, Tony Ferguson away. Henry Cejudo, lightning fast. These guys look like polished strikers, so I just want to get your thoughts on that. What do you think? To be honest with you, the only fight that I saw any clips from was the heavyweight fight between is is it Ganu or Inganu 
Francis Ngannou. Uh, I call him Franny. Okay, that's a lot easier. All right, Franny. Uh, I saw a little bit of that fight. I didn't see the rest of the card. Uh, had it been on regular ESPN, I maybe would have checked it out. But, um, you know, the fact is on pay-per-view, I'm not a big UFC guy. So I, I did see some of that fight. Look, it's too, what I tell people is, you know, because this argument comes up a lot about comparing UFC to boxing, or MMA, I should say, to boxing. And to me, they're just two completely different sports. I, I think it's right. It's, it's the, the correct term to call what MMA fighters do striking because I don't see it as punching. The, the, they don't get full extension. They're squared up a lot of the time. They're not turning over on the punches. They're not getting proper leverage. They're not throwing with the right angles. Um, they're not putting their legs into it. They're not turning over and putting their core into it most of the time. But because in that sport, you can't often do it that way. You have to be more squared up. You have to have a lower center of gravity because you have to prepare for takedowns. It's just a different sport. So somebody could be a very, very good elite level striker in MMA, but that don't mean dick in a boxing ring. Just like in a boxing ring, you might have a guy who's a very, very crafty inside fighter who's good at kind of mauling and grappling. You know, I'm thinking of a guy like Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather had some skill with that. Uh, they're good kind of on the inside grappling and mauling when a guy's, you know, uh, close and they, they hold and push and, and get a guy where they want him. That don't mean dick in an MMA cage. So it's just two very different sports. And I, I think that you just cannot compare MMA fighters striking to a boxer's punching. It just doesn't compare. And that's that's my opinion. I, now, I should state I've trained a lot in boxing, but a lot of people don't know this. I was in the Marine Corps. And during that time, I did do judo and jiu-jitsu for a year. I do have a very little experience. It was only a year in that world. So I understand the basics of it pretty well. Uh, nowhere near as much as boxing, of course. I'm very much a novice. So I'm not just okay. you know, pulling this out of my ass. It's just it's, it's an honest opinion I have because of what I see. Yeah, I completely understand with the... Um... You can't really set your feet because you're worried about if you set down on your punches, the guy's going to double leg you, put you on your back. So, right, it's a completely different sports. You're right. Um, yeah, and, and you, are, as, you might have an opponent. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just you might have an opponent rushing in to try to do a takedown or whatever it is. Their chin's up in the air, they're squared up. And I see a lot of times 99% of the knockouts in MMA, it's not because the guy threw a really good strike, it's because the opponent is not being defensively responsible, at least the way I would see it from a boxing perspective. It's just, again, it's a different sport. The fundamentals are just very different. Yeah, with, in that Nagano-Rosenstruck fight, I mean, Teddy Atlas pointed this out. The guy went straight backwards, his chin straight up in the air. It looked like amateur hour, and this guy's supposed to be some decorated kickboxer. It's like, Man, yeah, but was he a world champion fan. kickboxer? Did he win world championships? Because I, you know, I, I'll admit, I didn't know who he was, but I, today I, I looked him up on Wiki, and I know he had like uh, 100, 200 fights, or, but I didn't see him being this big decorated world champion. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I just didn't see that. Yeah, I'm not sure either if he was a world champion. I just okay. know that. There's a lot of hype regarding his striking. Well, I don't know but, if he's a world champion. No, you're right. But as I stated at the beginning of the show, man, and again, they do this in boxing. They do it in every sport. The narrative that's being driven and pushed from the promoter, from the network, from the commentators, 
that is not for the nuanced, educated, diehard fan. That commentary is for the casual. That's for, as I call it, Joe Sixpack, who's at Buffalo Wild Wings getting a, you know, some chicken or whatever after with his buddies after a week at the office. And oh shit, the MMA fights on. Turn that shit up. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. So when Joe Rogan says this guy's an elite level striker, this he's a decorated kickboxer, two hundred fights. But if you start looking into the two hundred fights you see it was again you know he lived in north dakota and fought a bunch of guys that i know it's not that guy in this case but i've seen it before where they're like this guy had over a hundred amateur fights yeah in oregon okay i could probably beat 90 of the guys this guy fought you know and i'm nobody so you have to always pay and again they do this in boxing too that you know absolutely do it in boxing but just pay attention to those narratives you know always look beyond that Oh, agree, hundred percent. And my last point regarding um, Ningano versus Wilder. You know what it seems in this heavyweight, it's, it crosses over in boxing and MMA. It's if you if you're a big, powerful athlete, man, it could take you far. It could yes. take you really far in um, boxing and MMA because Ningano is not technical. All he does is throw these powerful hooks. He gasses after a round. We saw that in a Steve Miocic fight. He doesn't have a good gas tank. Um, but, man, it's like the, the level of talent in the heavyweight division, it just seems, at least in the UFC, I know in boxing there's a lot of good up-and-comers. But in the UFC, man, it, it's all you need. He's just a big, powerful athlete with knockout power, and now he's the number one contender. It's kind of insane to think, but I'll get your last thoughts on that, and then I'll head out. That's a great point. I, I remember um, Brock Lesnar went over into MMA briefly. And I know he wasn't the greatest or anything, but did he win the championship? I can't remember if he won the championship, but I know he did well. Yeah, he won it. He did. Okay. So so here, case in point, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, this, this isn't me putting down MMA, UFC. I've been accused of being a hater. I swear I'm not. I respect all fighters. Those guys are awesome athletes. They get in the cage. They put it all on the line. But Brock Lesnar, a guy who couldn't make the practice squad in the NFL because he tried out for some NFL teams, right, fell just short of practice squad level. Um, Did the WWE for a while, which is, you know, let's call that what it is. It's a fake sport, but it's fun. We all have a lot of fun with it. And those guys are definitely athletes, but it's scripted, right? It is what it is. And he was able to go into MMA and win the UFC heavyweight championship. Now, in boxing, we've seen a million guys that were former football players uh, that played college football, maybe a little NFL, you know, right at, pretty much at the level Brock Lesnar played football. And they went into boxing and they haven't got anywhere near a heavyweight title, let alone being the heavyweight champion of the world. You know, Gerald Washington is one of the latest examples, but there's a million guys I can bring up. That just kind of shows you the different levels. Now, to your yeah. point. To your well, point. Real quick, real go ahead, quick. Go ahead. Before I cut you off, um, the thing with Brock Lesnar, though, is he's an NCAA champion wrestler. I think that's that plays a big factor for why okay. he wasn't just like a WWE guy or something. He was a legit amateur wrestler, NCAA champion. So oh, I think well, that's, that's, a great that's the reason why it translated. That's a great but, point. I mean, if you and look at right. Wilder, though, I mean, you got to look at Wilder. Look at how well he did. He got 10 title defenses. And I mean, he's just a big, strong athlete. That's no technique. So I think it works both ways. Well, the difference with Wilder, and I said this before, I do think basketball skill set lends itself a little more to boxing 
and American football lends itself a little more to MMA. But uh, the difference with Wilder is, is, and I don't want to make this an anti-Wilder comment, but when he stepped up and fought his first elite-level heavyweight, what happened? He lost the first fight against Fury, was lucky to get away with a draw, and then in the second fight with a 100% version of Fury, you saw what happened. So you could say 10 title defenses and all that, but again, I'll go back to the point I made a few minutes ago. That's a narrative being pushed by the management, by the promoters, all that. If Look at who those title defenses were against. Now, I agree with you. He's a big, strong, powerful guy who developed a right hand, and it worked out for him. Uh, but I think to a certain degree he's been figured out now, and any, if he goes in there against Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, that level of heavyweight, he's probably going to come up short most of the time. But you're right. I do stand corrected. Brock Lesnar, I remember that. I know he wrestled in college. And I think Ronda Rousey did as well. I think, or no, Ronda Rousey did judo, I believe, and was an Olympian. So I understand yeah. how some of that translates. Um, I actually think having a wrestling background in MMA is much more important than a boxing background or anything like that. It just seems to translate better to the rules over there. But again, I'll go back to it. You know, look, man, it's two different sports. It's two different things. And it's okay. You know, we can have two different worlds. I agree. All right, Mike, I'll let you get to it. But thanks for taking my call. All right, brother. Thanks a lot, man. Good stuff. Great call. Okay, you too. That was a really, really good call. All right, uh, 951, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Big Mike. What up? This is Mike Mendiola from Gladiator. Mendiola, what's up, man? How How you doing? How are you, brother? I'm good, good, man. man. I'm finally calling in. Yeah, first time. All right. What you got? (laughs) What you got for me, my man? Okay, so, you know, I I work with some fighters, and I I did watch the um, the Pettis versus Cerrone. Is that his name, Cowboy Cerrone or Cerrone? I did he watch that again? fight on Saturday. They had Cowboys yeah, on that card? Didn't he just get knocked out? It was out? during the prelims. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got knocked out by McGregor, what, in like That's a minute right. or something? Yeah, or... yeah. He's been knocked out like twice in a row now. Okay. Anyways, you know, um, that was probably I, – I think I, I think I tweeted something about it. It was about my third or fourth fight uh, I've ever watched from start to finish because, you know – you know, we're, you know, obviously like, you know, we're all starving for some kind of combat sports or sports in general. Um, I'm watching in the mornings, I'm watching Swedish harness racing <laughs> on TVG because there's nothing on. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and, you know, like I said, I, I, I made a comment, you know, maybe a little bit ill-advised, but um, I said, I, I know some four round um, pro fighters that in terms of striking technique are so far more advanced than those, but I understand the nuances and the semantics with, like you guys discussed earlier, being able to throw a punch and then, you know, be prepared, you know, uh, to, to counter like a takedown. But, but, but really though, Mike, I mean, the, the striking from these UFC guys is really just not even on par with, with um, some amateurs, some decorated amateurs that I've worked with and that I see train on a daily basis. Dude, I've seen, again, this isn't putting them down because it's just speaking honestly, I've seen teenagers in the amateurs that would fuck up this heavyweight guy uh, in Ganu uh, in a boxing mm-hmm. match. I'm talking kids that would knock him out. And it's not I'm, not, yeah. I'm not bashing that dude because in a wrestling match, he'd crush just about every boxer on earth in 30 seconds. 
it, it's just two different things. Somebody in the chat, uh, SSB28, said that Cowboy Cerrone is 4-8 in, in his last 12 fights. And he fought Conor McGregor coming off either one or two straight losses. And McGregor dominated him, and those fans went nuts. And I just remember thinking, man, Dana White is a genius. Because yeah. if one of the top five fighters – I mean – I, I was just talking with Tom Loeffler. You know, Gennady Golovkin wants to fight uh, Camille Zamerda. And he's getting bashed by a lot of people in the boxing community for that because they want to go forward and fight the mandatory. He's way more qualified and in way better condition and shape right now than Cowboy Cerrone was when he fought Conor McGregor. Yeah. And that was a fucking pay-per-view. But their fans yeah. ended up and loved it. And it was all over Sports Center. It's It's just amazing to me. The double standards, man. But I'm sorry, I'm talking over you here. I'll shut up. No, no, no problem. No, very well put. Good points. I, I, I mean, when I when I saw the surround. By the way, I thought that cowboy guy eked out the decision, but for some reason, um, you know, I know there's there's boxing, you know, or issues in boxing scoring, but. The, the fight that I saw, I mean, one one guy had it, I think, 30 to 27 for Cerrone or 29, 20, whatever, 29, 28. And then the other two had it for Pettis. But, I mean, I, I clearly saw the Cowboy guy just eking out a decision because, to me, he was just more effective. He, he, was, he had the, he had the you know, the few takedowns that, and I don't know if you get points for takedowns, but he's the only one that was able to, to um, secure takedowns of the other guy. Um, and like I said, it, it just... I said, man, and this guy is, like you said, coming off of that, that one-minute destruction from McGregor or however long it lasted. And and he and this guy Pettis apparently used to be a title holder, and, and they just – I mean, it was an even fight, but I thought the Cowboy guy pulled it out. But, I, you know, and, and not – you know, not they're, they're, like you said, they're athletes. They're, they're, you know, in their own right, they're great, they're great combatants, and they train hard. And But I, I'm sick of the whole boxing – UFC comparison. In fact, the first time I ever was exposed to you was years ago when you did the whole Ronda Rousey thing. That's the first time I oh, ever, yeah. first video I ever saw of Montero unboxing, and and it was brilliant. And from that moment on, I've I've been following. And then you know, luck, I was lucky enough to meet you. You know what? About a year back and stuff, and we spent some time over with Molina and whatever. But um, um, but yeah, man. I mean, I, I think at at some point, um, it needs to stop the comparisons. But I don't think it really will ever stop. It's just it's, it's a way it's, for them to the market the mentality. I honestly think yeah. Dana White has tapped into something, and he's because he does mm-hmm. it a lot. He constantly disses boxing, and look, there's plenty to criticize, but don't talk about the damn athletes. Talk about the business and the issues you know there. But I just, you know, I remember talking about that Cowboy uh, McGregor fight. You know, when McGregor beat him, and I talked to a few <laughs> UFC friends of mine about it. And I, I wanted their honest opinion because I'm like, man, let me ask you about this. You know, this dude's lost all these fights and. And, you know, these guys were saying, basically, we don't care because Cowboy's a legend and he was the man back in the day. So we just want yeah. to see the fight. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I understand that to a certain degree, but you're almost buying into what Dana White's telling you and just believing it. You know, it just if there was a guy, if there was a fighter right now who had lost eight of their last 12 fights and anyone in the top 10 pound for pound fought him and then did it on pay-per-view. Could you imagine the backlash? But <laughs> I you, said okay, that. I, and, uh, go ahead. Here's a good analogy. Could you imagine if Canelo uh, was offered a voluntary defense and he decided to go ahead and fight James Kirkman? It probably be on par with what we saw. That's, with McGregor ex- versus that's a great guy. And I didn't watch that fight. Th- that is 
that would be perfect. Fighting James Kirkland right now, okay? If if he was told, exactly. you know, or, or someone like that, and and then it's on pay per view. Uh, it's it's again, it's brilliantly marketed, and it's it, I almost compare the 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 media machine and everything behind UFC. To me, it's similar to what the NFL does, to what the NBA mm-hmm. does, where it's casual fans tuning in because it's on TV. And they buy into the narratives that are pushed. And I'm not dissing any of that, okay? It's just part of Mm -hmm. what they do. And they do it very, very well. And boxing fans, to a certain degree, um, were pricks. Because a lot, not that there aren't casual fans, because of course there are. But day to day, week to week, the people watching the club shows, the mid-level shows, it's degenerates like us. So because we're so knowledgeable, sometimes (laughs) we're pricks about it. You know? And, And... yeah, we're a little bit, a little bit of elitist, I guess. Yeah. There, there's the right word. Yeah, maybe boxing yeah. fans are more elitist. Even though what's funny is the demographics of boxing in comparison to MMA, we're the poorer sport. We come from the inner cities. We come from the immigrant classes. <laughs> you go, dude. I, I was, I'm always amazed. You know, you go to the suburbs of any city in America. That's where the MMA gyms are. They're in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. They're not in the city. Like we're, you know, we're we're from where the boxing yeah. gyms are in the working class neighborhoods in the city. You go out to Orange County, and you know what I'm talking about, dude. There's that one huge gym out there. That that's where the MMA gyms are. Yet, yeah, it's boxing fans who are the elitist pricks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah. But um, speaking about boxing, I'll just I'll just make one other comment, one other brief comment. But um, in in regards to COVID, with the whole you know how it's shutting down boxing and stuff, we're actually you know, over at Gladiator Gym, uh, Johnny's Gym, we're, we're, I'm actually in the process right now putting together a, a COVID disclosure, um, like a waiver type thing, because, you know, going forward, we're just going to have to monitor each and every person that comes into that gym. It, it doesn't matter if it's a trainer, um, you know, anybody that comes into spar or train or whatever, we're just going to have to really just, I mean, this whole thing has just changed, changed um, just the landscape of, of everything. And then boxing gyms have been hit hard. I know you talked about it about a week or two ago. You talked about, and I think you posted something earlier today about a gym in LA closing yeah, down or we on the verge of closing one. down. You know, I, I've totally yeah. forgot about talking about that on the show. I was going to talk about the top of the show, but the, the, my main gym. Well, there you there, go. There's your segue. <laughs> yeah. There's my segue. Appreciate it. Uh, it's sad news, man. Uh, yeah. The gym that I trained at, I mean, I trained at a bunch of different gyms out there, but my home gym, if you will, that was literally like three miles from my house, my, my condo. Yeah. Uh, City of Angels Boxing closed. And I talked to them over the weekend and I said, is this because of COVID? And they said, yeah, it's basically like they, the, the fucking governor wouldn't let them run and operate. And for two months without getting that revenue, most gyms are hanging by a thread. And then there's a lot yep. of people that are scared to go back anyway. They had to close, bro. And that was a very successful yeah. gym. Yeah. So well, you know, sad. our our gym's private. Our gym's private, so we don't really we have to rely on people coming in and mem- monthly memberships and whatnot. But still, though, there, it really has put a halt to a couple of young, promising pros' uh, uh, careers are just completely on hold right now. Um, you know, you know, Robert being the age that he is, you know, Robert's he's not old. Robert's in his early sixties, but you know, he's in that demographic that right. has to really you know, watches health and stuff. So he hasn't been able to get to the gym at all. And, um, and a, a buddy, a buddy of mine, I talked to an hour ago in the music industry, you know, I do music as well. He, um, he's on the verge of losing his rehearsal studio and he reached out to my band and a few other bands that have been, you know, regulars there over the last several years and is asking us, 
hey, the only way I'm going to keep the, the gym alive is if I do lockouts, which basically means we can purchase a room for, for a set duration, like a 30-day, um, uh, basically like a 30-day cycle to keep the – because you can't have the constant flow of all these just different people coming in, different bands right. and whatnot. So right. it's not just boxing gyms. It's hitting you know, music studios, rehearsal studios. Um, you know, but that's a whole nother topic. Maybe, maybe I don't want to take up any more of your time, Mike. I appreciate the call. It's nice catching up with you. I hope you and Tiff are staying healthy. And next time you're out having a, a beer at a restaurant, think of us here. Cause we still can't do that. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in bro. Um, and look, next time we're out there, uh, we'll get the ladies together and we'll all go out get a few drinks. Hopefully yeah, you, at some point yeah. in the future, it'll open back up out there and we'll definitely do that. And you come to the gym, we'll get you some sparring, man. Hell I got yeah. I got a heavyweight from Rivers. I got a heavyweight from Riverside. He's a good fighter. He's a young kid, but you guys need to do some sparring. I'll work your corner. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> All right. Sounds okay, good, Mike. brother. All right, man. Have a good Take one. Care, man. Bye-bye. All right. Let's uh, jump to another call here. Uh, 353. You're on the neutral corner. Go. How's it going, Mike? How are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Shout out to everyone in the chat. Hit the like button. Support the show. It promotes the growth and visibility. Mark speaks the truth. <laughs> Hit the like button. It's true. It is, it, it is true. Uh, especially because like YouTube do everything to keep you below 10K. Hell yeah, you need to do. push that, guys. Yeah. What's up you need with to that? push that. <laughs> You're stopping growing. You know yourself. But yeah. Um, okay, so... Random ass question, nothing to do with anything, but um, I was just looking at something and I wanted your thoughts on it. Do you think the, the the International Boxing Hall of Fame have started a dangerous precedent like by putting in certain fighters into the Hall of Fame? Like you've got Gaddy in there, you've got I know people mention him, you've got Vitaly in there who I don't think should be. I know people will kill me for that. And you've got Barry McGuigan in there. I know he did a lot for, like, human relations in Ireland and UK, but he shouldn't be in there. And you have players like Lou Salica, Eddie Booker, Young Peter Jackson, et cetera, not in the hall. What's your thoughts on that? I, I don't know what to think about the hall, man. Um, I've never been up there. You know, I've had opportunities to go up there for that week and everything, and I've thought about it. But I, I to me, I kind of don't get it. Um, being up, way up there in upstate New York, I don't know if the hall belongs there. I know there's a lot of history and everything, but as far as the the criteria for you know every year a certain amount of fighters gets in, and then they yeah. have um, the non competitive category. I, they have several different categories, which I don't mind. Like I, I think that if you've made a significant contribution to the sport, and you know like as as a writer or as a commentator, cool. I think there should be a spot for you. That boxing is not the only sport that does that. But by saying, okay, we have, I'm trying to think, is it five fighters a year, three fighters? I can't remember. Five. Is it five still? Okay. Yeah. I, well, I think it's five on the short nominee and three. So five the short three, nominee, yeah. Five minutes. So, yeah. So, so it's five short nominee and then three actually get in. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that, like, that, that's just dumb. I, I think some years there should be one, some years there might be five. But you, it should be, you should have to get a certain percentage of the vote. And, um, you know, there should be a certain threshold. I don't know what that is. But a lot of times the, the, the writers that vote, you know, they have biases. So how many yeah. people who vote at the International Boxing Hall of Fame are from the northeast part of the United States? At least historically, a lot of them. So 
Uh, I think they could maybe diversify the crowd a little bit and they could uh, find a different way because voting in, you know, a certain amount of fighters every year, even if it's a weak year, that sucks. And then if it's a really strong year and you have five guys that truly belong there, we've had years like that. It sucks that some of them have to wait. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's get a little bit more back onto the topic, right? So the UFC happened this weekend. It was, I enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. It didn't kill my desire for boxing. You know, I'm not going to be picking UFC over boxing anytime soon. Um, and Gami's gotten crazy hype off of that knockout, hasn't he? Like a lot of hype. A lot of people are saying, oh, this dude is knockout all these heavyweights. And I thought about a fantasy crossover for you if you'd like to hear it between right. Ngannou and a certain player. Right. I think Ngannou should get into the ring with Dave Allen. <laughs> I know that okay. sounds funny, but I genuinely no. I've seen Ngannou fight before, and he gasses. Well, yeah. After one round, that if kind of muscle. Knock out Dave Allen and, in a round, not doing Vada testing over there, but uh, yeah, he's a big guy. If he can't knock out Allen in a round, could Dave Allen knock out Francis Ngannou? I think yes, he could. Absolutely, he could. And I don't think he'd knock out Dave Allen in a round because Dillian White went twelve of them, and I don't think he hits much harder with. Full, with full gloves, everything, and drug testing than Dillian White. I think if if that was a 10-round fight, it, absolutely, Ngannou would get stopped. It, it just and, and again, I have to say it because, you know, I have to preface everything. If Dave Allen wrestled in an MMA cage, Ngannou would beat him. So, like, you know, it's 2020, so I have to say that before, you know. It doesn't matter. I'm going to still take shit. But I, I'm with you, man. Like, people do not understand the cardio requirement for boxing it's crazy i'm saying this as a former marine i would get up and fucking we'd run a 5k before breakfast and then we'd go out and run some more like every day i've you know i played a lot of sports i've been in the military training and boxing is the hardest shit i've ever done it's not easy and these guys think oh i can throw a punch i can go do this Nah, it's not that easy it's just not no, it's not. I mean, look, I, I used to box and then I got out of it. And, like, I've gotten more into powerlifting. If you got me to get into a – if you got me to do six rounds right now, I'd be fucked after four. <laughs> I'd be fucked. I'd be straight up Powerlifting is the worst uh, thing you I, could do for boxing. <laughs> it's like the opposite yes, yes, I Yeah, I know. I know. But if I hit you, I'm hurting you. Yeah, there you but, go. That's Hey, that matters. That does matter. That's why – actually – before I go, have you heard this, right? So, have, have you heard about Hathor and Julius Bjornsson and Eddie Hall? No. All right. So, Hathor Julius Bjornsson was the world's strongest man in 20, 2018. And Eddie Hall. Oh, was in no, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have heard of this. The, They're going to the fight mountain, on. The mountain. Yeah. They're going to fight next year in September or November, one of the two months next year, September. Right. I think it's September 2021. I, I like the idea now of two guys who have fuck all skill. <laughs> I like this idea who are completely novice in the sport of boxing, getting into the ring. Between them, combined, they weigh over 800 pounds, Jesus and the two of them Christ. have lifted over 1,100 pounds off of the ground to their waist. I like that idea because I know a lot of people talk about like different people fighting in boxing and YouTubers. This is two guys who are technically strength athletes who have a legit beef with each other over the 2017 whole, uh, World's Strongest Man thing. 
because half tour thought Eddie Hall got a uh, got a uh, got a little bit of a pass on on the lift, and he was uh, deducted reps, which cost them their world's strongest man on the points total. Right? Um, I like this. I really like it I because like it these too. are just two big, massive, fat fucks who can, right. let's be honest, would throw you and me through a wall if they got their hands on us. They would. They're, they're like, and you know yourself with World's Strongest Man, there's very little drug testing involved. Oh, yeah. These guys are on D-ball, fucking testosterone. They're on trend. Yeah. trend. They're on everything in the world. They're on HGH galore. Like, I'm sorry. At six, Eddie Hall in his peak was 433 pounds. Jesus at six foot three. Christ. And even though he looked fat, even though he looked fat, that was just solid. Jesus. It was solid. Well, Mark, I'll tell you. And he was pulling 500 kilo. Like, get the fuck out of here. 1,102 pounds. I am so much more interested in something like that, seeing like a freak show like that, than I am about seeing Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather or Conor McGregor, Manny Pacquiao, because we know what that is. That's just easy money, you know, cash grab. But... This fight, it, it, I didn't recognize the names at first, but actually somebody asked me, a, a listener to the show asked me about that like a week or two ago. And I looked it up and I saw these guys. So I'm like, holy fuck, I'm just looking at them. <laughs> I would love to just watch those two beat the shit out of you. That would just be, and if the skill is going to be so bad. It's gonna, they're going to win after a round, but it's going to, they're both kind of the same. They're in the same boat. So I think that it, it probably is going to be a lot of fun and they have a ton of time to hype it up. But even if even if they're winded after a round and they're just swinging their arms, you know full well one of those swings could send the other dude over the rope. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Well, that's, that's the great thing about this. Like, I don't say this, but that's got brain damage written all over it, doesn't <laughs> it? It really does. One of those dudes punches you. You go, like, no tech. It, it doesn't even. I know technique matters a lot in boxing, but when you're that strong, that strong, and well, you have no skills, both of you. It's even keel. We would get to see. I guess we'd have an example of that playing out live, and just to see what happens. I mean, I I think that shit would oh. be a lot of fun. I I actually would watch that. Right, I, I'll I'll admit that. Now, if they price it at eighty dollars or some shit, eh. but if they price the pay per view the right way, that might be a fun one to just do like a live commentary and just call the fights on my channel and just have fun with it. Because I don't think either guy yeah, is pretending. Neither guy is going to pretend to be a boxer. That's the thing that annoys me about some of these crossover fights and stuff. Is Conor McGregor is trying to convince people that he's a boxer. It's like you're not. You're you're a great MMA fighter. You're very very good at that discipline. But you're not a boxer, dude. Stop it. But I get it. They had to market it that way. Yada yada yada. But with these two guys, they're, they're not trying to be boxers. They just want to beat the shit out of each other. And you said they're way over 400 pounds. How much? 800 pounds? Yeah, I'd watch that. Well, That'd be half, hilarious. Half tour, half tour, re- like right now, Eddie Hall, he slimmed down since he retired from World's Strongest Man, right? At his peak, he was 433. Right now, Jesus. as he says himself, he's a slender 385. God, that, that, half tour I feel bad for his Jesus. Hathor just pulled 1,104, and he was 205 kilo, or just over 440 pounds. Man, those, those are some big dudes. Those are two mountains. Yeah, I, I would watch that. That's I'll admit 820 right pounds. I would That's watch 820 that. pounds. Anyway, I'll let you go, Mike. You've got a super chat ledge, by the way. Hit oh, the yeah. like button, guys. Come on, hit the like. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Mark. Have a good one, man.
I love Mark's calls. All right, Trent with the super chat. Thank or super. I was super chat. I was gonna say super Trent. <laughs> Trent with the super chat. Thank you so much, my man. Awesome super chat pledge. He says, "Yo, Ergashev and Vladimir Shishkin look great up in your city, Detroit, my hometown. Under Sugar Hill, who's your number one prospect between those two guys? I like Ergashev. In fact, you know, I have a few friends that stay plugged into the boxing scene up there in Detroit." And I remember uh, seeing, I think uh, Ergashev fought on a Showbox card earlier this year. And um, he looked really, really good. And I remember texting a buddy of mine up there and saying, dude, because he didn't know Ergashev yet. He just hadn't seen him yet. And I said, you need to go to the gym and check this kid out. He's the best prospect in Detroit right now. I I truly believe. And Ergashev is from uh, over, uh, I think he's an Uzbek. He's an Uzbek guy. Which, you know, hey, what have I been saying about the Uzbeks? But he's based in Detroit now. I think he, uh, Dimitri Salida promotes him. And he's going to, I'd love for him to start actually fighting in Detroit, but he's going to continue training there. I think he's the best prospect in Detroit right now, based there. And I think maybe, just maybe, if he has some success and brings some fights, you know, to Detroit, uh, maybe they can start building something there. There are real opportunities in Detroit right now. Because it's it's so cheap uh, to uh, run a gym there and everything, it just you have to get the the community involved in going to the fights. But there's casinos in Detroit. There's gambling. It's a big sports community in terms of sports. It's a big market. All the top sports are there. So I think that uh, there's an opportunity for a Detroit-based fighter to bring something there. Ergashev has a chance. It just depends on what he wants to do. Uh, great super chat, though, but he's saying, uh, is the 100 to 147-pound division the deepest two divisions besides 154? And then he names Taylor, Gaiasov, uh, Ennis, Virgil Ortiz, Ramirez, Ergashev, Ivan uh, Golub, Ugas, Spence, Crawford, and you can keep going. Um, man, I don't, you know, I, I actually think 47 is a little possibly overrated in some people's minds very deep very good division but some people say it's the best in boxing i don't know about that um 175 is pretty damn good right now 175 is pretty damn straight man you with uh, uh better be at the top and then you've got um of, of course uh bevel if he stays there and then i think benavidez at 68 calum smith at 68 those guys are going to be at 75 very soon so I, I think 75 is a good, solid division. Cruiserweight's always good. I, Superfly, uh, Bantamweight are strong. 22, 26 are strong. 35's pretty damn good. Dude, look at the young talent at around 30, 35 right now. You, uh, you've got uh, Haney, uh, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia. Of course, you've got Vasily Lomachenko. Um, and, you know, we know... Um, Tiafimo Lopez is going to be at 140 pretty soon, but right now he's at 35. I don't know, dude. 35 in terms of young, up-and-coming talent right now. That might be the best division in boxing in terms of young guys. Now, they're going to be at 40, 47 soon enough. But right now, dude, that's a deep talent pool of young, good fighters who are on the cusp of breaking through. I agree with you that at 54 He's got some very good young guys right now. Majumov, we talked about Bohacek earlier. He's going to do well. I think he's going to win a title in that division. And those guys are eventually, a lot of them going to be moving to 60. I think Jarrett Hurd at some point. I think both Charlos will be at 60. 
you've got Andre, you've got Canelo, you've got Golovkin, you've got Derevyanchenko. People sleep on 160. That's a deep division, dude. One of the divisions that I think gets a little overrated too is 168. Uh, there's a couple of good guys at the very top, but you scroll down, eh, it's not as thick as some would make you believe. 160, though, a lot of people sleep on that division. All right, let's get to a couple more calls. Man, we're going long today, guys. I hope you appreciate it. I know Tiff, Tiff probably is making dinner and wants me to get upstairs and eat, but we're going long today. 317, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Hey, what's up, big guy? It's Jack Alter. What's up, Jack? How you doing, man? I just got my high school diploma in oh, the mail. <laughs> in the mail. Holy shit, dude. Yes, sir. That's so yes, sir. weird. Wow. So yeah. like, did, it, did it come like official mail where you had to go sign for it and shit? Or was it just in your mailbox, stuffed in your mailbox? No. Well, I say mail, but really the bus came like to the bus stop. And like there was teachers in the back of the bus. And they like handed it to me saying like congratulations and stuff. So your teacher wearing a mask, I assume, handed you a diploma. Yeah. 2020 man holy shit craziness well yeah. congratulations man congratulations thank you did you see my uh interview with virgil ortiz i have not seen it yet but that's awesome i will check that yeah, out yeah man i wanted to talk to you about this because i talked to him about it man let's let's forget boxing for a second we know triple g beat canelo twice uh <laughs> we know uh better bf is the best light we know all that right we know all that so let's talk about uh, burgers i talked to uh <laughs> oh he likes the water burger yeah and then uh someone uh oh hamed says jack loves talking about glove you know it but uh no what's your what's your best burger place because here in indiana five guys that that's my go-to i love five I like guys. five guys five guys is good um dude I, that water burger down there in texas that shit's pretty legit i gotta say and i know um you know, because I talked to Virgil about that. You know, I asked him how it compares to In-N-Out, to Fat Burger, and of course he's from Texas, so he likes Whataburger. You know, In-N-Out, dude. Have you ever been to In-N-Out? I have. November, uh, like six months ago, that was the only time I went. I think I remember I you like tweeting about that. Did you tweet about it what, or something? That? Did you tweet about it? Yeah, or something? I did. Yeah, and okay. Responded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. In and out, but you got to order the right thing. So Tiffany orders for me because what she orders isn't even on the menu. Fat Burger's dope. If if you are really hungry, get the triple XL at Fat Burger and you'll be good for about a day or two after that. <laughs> yeah, and if, like if you uh, eat that, they take your picture and put it on the wall. And like there was one in Koreatown that I used to walk to is, I don't know, five blocks from my house. And I go in there, and, and the, the bartender would hook up the drinks, and they had a patio where they'd have football games on and shit. We'd be out there just drinking, hanging out, getting a triple triple XL, and I'd kill that fucker. They'd take a Polaroid picture of me, put it on the wall next to the other five of them, and then across the street was an ice cream joint. And I'd go over there and eat like a gallon of ice cream. Good times. Dang. Uh yeah, I wanted to ask one boxing question because I'm about to get food in a second, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, man, I'm a growing kid. Got to got to get them got uh, Keep gotta it, get man. them burgers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I saw Clarissa Shields posting. Uh, I, you probably talked about this in the past, how she would say, like, she'd uh, give Golovkin a run for her money and, like, uh, <laughs> you know, beat Thurman and Porter. I just want to ask you, how how badly would you dominate Shields in sparring? Oh. <laughs> well, hey, on the screen. Shields could probably <laughs> fuck me up. 
all, all truth, all truth. Now, if I landed, you, you know, if I you know, landed, the thing is, you know, I actually know dudes, you know, friends of mine who have sparred her, and they tell me she's legit strong. She's a strong. She's a big girl, dude. She's a big girl. Now, it's, for her to talk about Golovkin and you know all these guys, that's that's ridiculous. Like that's just and again, if female boxing is this great sport and, and you know if you, stop comparing it to men's boxing build your own thing you know the, the constant comparisons to men's boxing drives me nuts and it shows the insecurity that some female fighters and their promoters have to always do that but yeah i think you know those sorts of comments are just stupid but believe it or not every time she tweets something like that if you look at the responses there's a bunch of people that are like oh yeah you, you'd fuck them up oh yeah that believe it. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah, I don't want to get into any of the racist shit she said and how, like, you know, this is your show. I could talk to you about this personally, but there's always going to be people disagree about, uh, about like, politics and things like that. But, uh, you know, Shields, um, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but my friend Jordan was saying how he hopes Shields gets into a similar situation as Gerald McClellan. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, that's, nah, I don't. <laughs> We can't wish anything like that on somebody, man. That's not cool. That's not cool. Yeah. Tell your boy that's not cool, man. I can't yeah, get with that. Uh, I can't get with that. All right. I'm uh, I'm going to get my food. Uh, hit, hit Blaze like that button. hamburger, man. Yeah, Go kill sure. that. Hit the, hit the like button. <laughs> All right, Jack. All right. All man. right. Talk to you later, man. All right. All right bye. All right. Uh, a couple more quick calls, guys. Yeah, we're we're going here. Going on two hours today. All right, uh, four four one. You're on the neutral corner. Go. Four four one. Hello. I'm guessing this is a UK call, maybe. Hello. Yes. Hello. You're on oh, the show. Oh, hey, it's Chris. It's Chris Bergen here. Oh, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. Yeah, I've just got a quick question um, about uh, you know I'm a big UK uh, fan, so. Uh, just a question about who you think the uh, top UK prospects are. You know, we've got uh, Dubois, Okole, Cordina, Josh Kelly, Joshua Boatsi. I'm just thinking, who's your favorite? I like Boatsi a lot. I like Kelly a lot. But I'm all in on the Danny Dubois hype train, my friend. That's yeah, that's yeah. the guy that I well, – we got to find out how he takes a shot. That's the one thing. But Absolutely. I think he's 22. I mean, he's very yeah. young. Yeah, if, if that, yeah. Right? He, yeah. He's, he's young. He has all the punches. He seems to have a very good head on his shoulders. Seems to be a smart guy. Gets it. And, I, of course, we got to see how he looks against Joe Joyce if that fight still comes off. Oh, I can't wait to see that fight. Me too. I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, I think a lot of people punch. are sleeping on that fight. Man, that's a really good, very important fight. Like, I'm really yeah. excited for that one. And I think he's going to win. It's going to be difficult, and he's going to have some some scary moments, but I think he'll win. But, yeah, that to me, he's the top U.K. prospect right now. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Joshi Boatsi as well. I think, yeah. he's, I think he's definitely going to be a world champion in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Kelly will too. I mean, Kelly has a chance as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a few young guys. I mean, the U.K. is producing – good talent from the small weights all the way up to the heavyweights now regularly 
You know, they're one of the best producers of talent in the sport right now. And uh, there's some really good young guys right now. Uh, Josh Taylor, you know, I still think a lot of people are sleeping on him. I, I think that he's going to be a damn good fighter as he ends yeah. up moving up in weight. I think he, I think he sneaks into the top ten pound for pound personally. Yeah, you know, we had that debate at ring. You know, we we talked about that. We, I think, we have him just outside. But you could absolutely make the argument. I think we put Pacquiao in rather than uh, Taylor, but. But you can make the argument, you absolutely could, that he's among the 10 best fighters. And, you know, talk about fights I can't wait to see. Him, at some point, him and um, Jose Ramirez are going to fight and, you know, sew up the whole 140-pound division. That's one of the best fights in boxing. I can't wait for that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You can make a case for either of those to win that fight. Absolutely. That's why it's great. Yeah. Anyway... Cheers for the call, Mike, anyway. All right, well, thank you, brother. Uh, it's good to finally have you call into the show, man. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, cheers, brother. Take All right, care. cheers. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Okay, one more call here, guys. And then we're going to uh, call it off here. Uh, 447, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Hello, Mike. How's it going? Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, I've been busy with Ramadan, but I've seen oh, okay. your shows live. Uh, I, I'm going to try and re-listen to the Tom Loeffler interview. I, I was just wondering, i got a couple of questions. Uh, I was going to say, what what do you think would more of an ideal thing would be? To get rid of the less belts, or do you think it would be better, say, to cut down the weight classes? I think there's too many weight classes and too many belts, and... I know this subject is kind of like uh, ongoing, like uh, a lot of people talk about it all the time. But would you say something that you'd prefer one of the, over the other? Yes, uh, that's a great question. It's something that's brought up a lot. And most boxing fans feel that less belts is the answer. My response is that less divisions is the answer. I did a video several years ago, look it up, where I I think it's called the junior and super divisions are a waste, something like that. And I talk about kind of the history of those divisions. They originally came around to kind of serve as catchweights, and then they became their own divisions because the sanctioned organizations learned, oh, we can get more money. If we cut the junior and super divisions out of boxing tomorrow, the talent pool in the remaining, I think there'd be 10 divisions remaining. The talent pool would either double or triple in every division. And it wouldn't matter if there were four belts. It really wouldn't matter because the talent pool would be there. So just imagine, if you will, if, you know, uh, 108 has gone, 115's gone, 122, 140, 154, 168 are gone. What that would yeah, do I'd to the Yeah, I'd keep the cruiserweight. You have to keep yeah, cruiserweight. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. Like, you know, the guys on the Gruen Truth, like I've debated them and they, they think that it'd be better to go back to the old eight. I think eight may be a bit too, I think that's, I think, I don't think those days are over. Like uh, you yeah. can't go back to. That's Human too, beings got bigger. We need cruiserweight. Heavyweight needs to be 200 pounds. You can make an argument. We could even bump heavyweight up even further now. Some people have said maybe a super heavyweight division. I don't know. I think 10 divisions Leave it at that. And I think it's, it does. It, boxing is so global, Ahmed. There's so many fighters, so many different yeah. promoters and jurisdictions. You kind of need multiple sanctioning organizations. One couldn't manage 
all the fighters. Yeah. So I don't mind. Yeah, I, I don't. That. I don't get the argument too. I, I think I think three was probably ideal because then you could get a champion. Then you could maybe get a unified champion, and if he's got three belts, he's undisputed. I think with the four. It just overcomplicates stuff a bit. With I, I see the other argument as well. Some people say, "How could there be more than one world champion?" But right. I, I just think he's a vision of a, a champion. I think as long as they all fight each other, the champions fight and they unify. That's the good thing. I think there are too many weight classes. I, I don't mind the super middleweight and super welterweight divisions. I think those divisions have done well. But if you look around, a lot of the other divisions. I just personally think it's too many. I think there's what is it like seventeen or eighteen? Uh, I personally 17. think there should have been more than about ten or twelve at max. And even then, I, I think you could make an argument. I think ten is ten is enough, you know. And, and, and yeah. again, you talk about. I mean, I agree. One fifty four, one sixty eight. Those you, you usually get some really good fights. But if right now you cut those divisions out and all those guys at fifty four had to move up to one sixty. Think of the possible fights there, man. I mean, think think of how loaded the middleweight division would be overnight. And if some of the, the better fighters at 168 were fighting at 175 right now, and they're going to be there eventually. You know, I talked about Benavidez, Callum Smith, Caleb Plant. One day those guys are going to be at 75 anyway. And if they were there tomorrow and those guys were fighting against Bevel, even better BF, man, you'd get some amazing fights. So I, I the yeah. biggest problem to me is all the divisions, man. Seventeen divisions, it's just too many. It's too many. That's too many, yeah. Before I go, I just wanted to do, ask you. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen to the thing, the interview. I was gonna see uh, what do you think about the Golovkin Canelo fight? Do you think, uh, do you think they'll fight this year or? Do you it's think not gonna be this year. Pushback? It's not gonna be this year. I, I mean, I can. Yeah, I've talked to Tom enough times, Tom Loeffler, where I can kind of tell. Because Tom, again, he keeps it very professional. He's not going to, you know, um, say too much. But I can kind of tell what he was saying. They're going to fight next year. It's probably going to be Cinco de Mayo 2021. That's probably when we're going to get oh, that yeah. third fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I heard as well. Thanks a lot. I'll speak to you soon, then. All right. Have a good one. All right. Nice. All right, you guys, I, I lied. That wasn't the last call. We have one more caller here. This will be the last call, okay? 401, you're on the neutral corner. Last call tonight, go. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. Hey, so I'm actually from Providence, Rhode Island. We have a uh, middleweight champion, Boo Boo Andre. He's actually my big cousin, like oh, blood cool. relative, you know? Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, so, you know, obviously he's my cousin, I support him. I want to see him in the big fights, but... I watched your video before about Golovkin needing to fight him. I think he does need to do a little bit more work. You know, he's my cousin. I support him. But I think that if you look at how Golovkin was coming up, he fought multiple times a year, making the big drama shows. I feel like, you know, Boo's my big cousin, but he's kind of slacking on doing that. You know, he's fighting once in every year, maybe not enough to get the big, big fights. You know what I mean? How do you feel about that? Yeah, bro. Uh, well, thanks for calling in the show. You know, Providence is one of the towns in America. I've been to almost every town in this country, but that's one town I haven't been to that I'd love to check out someday. But f for the record, because, you know, I've been I've taken heat for criticizing your cousin. I like Demetrius Andre as a fighter a lot. And I remember when he was a prospect at 154. This is going back, hell, probably seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. I, I remember saying this dude is going to be the a problem 
for Golovkin one day when he moves up to 160. I didn't see the Charlos as being a big problem and some of the other guys that have moved up. But I I looked at Andre's style, his skill set, and I was like, this dude's going to be a problem. And then he just, I don't know what happened, bro, but I don't know if it's an entitlement thing or if it's just he's getting – uh, he's getting pretty good money to only fight once or twice a year. He's made some bad business decisions that have cost him time, but in the end, he's made out all right financially. It's just if you look at, you know, I talked to Tom Loeffler earlier in the show. Gennady, when he first came to America, he was fighting three, four times a year for two hundred grand, three hundred grand, four hundred grand. I know Boo Boo's making more than that right now, and he's fighting once a year, maybe twice a year. He's getting paid more for fighting less op- you know, lower-level opposition a lot of the time than Golovkin faced. So I just think he's just got to get busier, dude. He's just got to step it up. If he does, he could create the demand for a, a fight with Charlo, Canelo, Golovkin, whoever. But until he gets busy and steps up the opposition and, and really, really plants his feet and tries to hurt dudes and get him out of there, I don't think Canelo and Golovkin, like, why would they go near him at this point? They just don't have to. Yeah, that's, that's what I tell people all the time. You know, obviously, if you're from Providence, you're going to support him. He's my cousin. I support him, too. But I'm also realistic. You know, I don't think that anybody who isn't creating the kind of demand that Triple G did deserve to get the big fight, like, with Canelo. You know, he worked his ass off, did what he had to do. And eventually, you know, they got they got a mess situation after, but he got the fight, you know. And I would put people on like, listen, he's my cousin. I support him 100%. And I want him to get the big fight. But you know, you don't you don't go somewhere, get a job, and expect to buy a mansion. No, you go somewhere, get a job, and start small. He's trying to go from starting the small position to the elite level. He is elite level, but I agree, he should get busier and stuff. And you know, I've been to the boxing gym we always went to. You know, I grew up with them a lot, but you know, I kind of I'm not gonna be biased because he's my cousin. I'm gonna be realistic here. You know, and Triple G is my favorite fighter. You know, from a sports standpoint, but obviously, if if Boo's fighting, I'm supporting him no matter what. Else, that would have been a crazy fight when they were, when Triple G was in his prime, at least. But I don't know. I think you could give a Boo a tough challenge even now, so if they were to fight, you know. Well, it'd be such a huge jump in opposition for Boo Boo, right? He just hasn't fought yeah, anybody. He's never been tested like that. That's what I'm yeah. saying. He hasn't been, you know, really pushed to that limit. And I feel like it'd be kind of too much for him, you know, especially when G was in his prime. Back then, I was saying, I was like, listen, I'm going to support Boo, but honestly, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's going to win this one. If he did fight him back then, I'd support him completely. But I'm like, it's going to be hard because he's never been at that point. It's like, look what happened with Bonus, you know, getting dropped. And you see what Trouble G did to him. It's kind of like levels to it a little bit, you know? Yeah. And part of that is building yourself up and going. Like, look, with the Bonus fight, him being dropped, I don't look at that as a big deal. I mean, that's just part of boxing. Yeah, exactly. and the thing is, he got dropped. He got back up. He won the fight. And yep. he needs to go through a few more of the, that, you know, those situations, that process. Uh, you know, he was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders. And for the record, I a lot of people yeah. thought Saunders was going to win a fight. I thought Andre was going to win. I favored Andre. To, I think I still think he beat him right now because I think yeah, Saunders yeah. is overrated. But you know, and it's not his fault that that fight fell through. Saunders is the one who got caught, you know, with drugs. But he's yeah, got to exactly. do something, dude. You got to talk to your cousin. And tell him to get busy. <laughs> I know, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, hey, dude, stop fighting people. But, you know, when I see him, it's not too often. But I'm like, you know, I, I wish the best for him. As long- and he's making his money doing his thing. But, you know, if you're a boxer, you really want the legacy more than anything. And it kind of sucks because, you know, he is a big, big talent, really good. But it's like, and at the end of the day, he didn't. he's not going to get the big fight. He's 32 now. I'm like, you know, he's getting 
up there in the age. But, you know, he hasn't taken crazy punishment, so maybe he'll be one of the special guys when they're older. They're still pretty good, you know. He's a pretty slick fighter. Maybe. I think um, we just got to see, man. We got to see how he looks in there against an elite-level guy, if he can take a punch. And then with a guy like him that is a mover, you know, who uses skills, what happens when he's in there with a guy who won't let him do that shit? Can he bite down and grit out a tough fight? Like, Golovkin just had a really tough one with Drevyanchenko. Drevyanchenko, style-wise, was a nightmare for Gennady. And and Triple G was forced to, like, bite down and just fight, just grit that shit out, and he did it. Can Bubu do that? Maybe. You know, he might have that in him, but we have to see. We we need to see somebody, like, you know, pull that out of him. Yeah, you always got to get tested. Exactly. All right, thanks for taking the call, Mike. It was a pretty highlight of my day, you talking to Tom. I was at work bored all day. (laughs) It's like, oh, a few more minutes to this podcast. Well, cool, man. I appreciate that, brother. Thanks a lot. No problem. All right, have a good one. Have a good day. You too. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is the show for today. My phone's about to die, so we're about to drop off here, guys. Uh, I appreciate uh, all the great calls today. We went a little late, a little long, but great calls. So I uh, I don't think you guys will mind. Make sure that you share. Make sure that you uh, spread the word about the show. Hit the like button, all that good stuff, all right? I will see yous at the fights.